What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, and with me is... Allie Deitchman. That's right, and this week we'll be talking about magic items, um, general tips and stuff about them, as well as villains, and answering some listener questions at the end. Um, Allie, how are your games this week? They're going really well, uh, I gotta say. Not as well as, like previous week before that because i mean not every week has to be exciting mm-hmm. lich fight to the death kind of situation to the death <laughs> but it's been good um they have successfully took down the lich and they have finally figured out what they're doing and they're figuring out the repercussions of how it happened mm. because i kind of I, I did a cliche thing and i did a a cut scene I'm like, pretty much, I'm like, okay, guys, stop rolling because this is what happens. Mm. (laughs) And they're all like, whoa. (laughs) They were very very, uh, enthralled by what happened. And and that's all I could ask for Mm. as a storyteller. Part of this situation is that they're just so into it. I I would at one point like to talk about cutscenes because I feel like they're okay to do sometimes. Sometimes. When it really means something. But uh, but yeah. yeah. But that's cool. Yeah, how about you? Um... I ran a game for my coworkers on Friday. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, one of them uh, has only played second edition. Oh. One of them hadn't played in about four years. I think okay. she I think she'd played fourth edition or uh, fifth edition around the time it came out in high school. And then uh, my other coworker who'd never played any D D ever. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, we went to a game store around here. Uh, I rented a table. I forgot everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think you, you told me that, yeah. Yeah, I, the night before was my birthday, and I woke up the next day groggy, came to work, and my coworkers <laughs> were like, oh, I can't wait for tonight. I'm like, oh, yeah, tonight. Oh, God, tonight. Oh, no. <laughs> but, um, and I, I put a full thing out on Twitter about this, D&D Beyond came in clutch. Yeah. I, I bought Lost Minds of Film Delver for 15 bucks. I uh, printed out their characters at work. Don't listen to this work. I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, we had a great time. And, like, I didn't even have my character, my, my DM screen, so I just used my laptop because I had... I got the Wi-Fi from there, had D&D Beyond up, yeah. and it worked great. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, I can't tell you about my other game because, well, it happens after this episode. So. Oh, very exciting. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. Next week. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so that that's, that's how our games are going. Um, we th- It happened, finally. We don't have news or dungeon keeping. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're just going to hop right into that first topic. Allie, what is our first topic? Our first topic is magic items. It's the thing that a lot of DMs buy the DMG for. If I was good at audio editing, I'd put like a sparkly sound in here or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's, that's like the problem I see a lot of people say is like, oh, well, I usually use the DMG as like a catalog for magic items. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I did for a really long time. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it totally is a good catalog. Um, But yeah, that's our topic for today is first one at least is magical items okay what do you uh, got? we're gonna pretty much be talking about like what are they how do they come into use in the games uh how often you should have them in the games stuff like that yeah um but let's go ahead and start what are magic items like how are they cool shit yeah i'm mean, essentially <laughs> they really are uh there's they're essentially items or things 
that make a character just seem even cooler than they already are because all your characters really are heroes and they are called wondrous items for mm, a reason. Yes. Because, hey, do you want to cape that billows in the wind for no reason at all other than just to do it? There's a magical item for that. Yep. Um, it's, it's just such a cool extra thing to add into this fantasy game, which, I mean, that's what it is. It's a fantasy game. You should have some sort of magic in there other than, you know, the innate ability to cast magical spells. Mm -hmm. Which is cool, but... Yeah, it, it is certainly cool, but it's cool to also have the world, so to speak, cast magic as well. Well, like, and it, it does kind of harken back to, like, where D&D started with, you know... Tolkien and, mm -hmm. you know, later on taking inspirations from other things like, you know, uh, Wheel of Time and uh, Shannara. Yeah. Like, the thing about those, everything I, all those series I just named there, there are cool, mysterious magic items in there. There's mm -hmm. the Ring of Power. There's uh, the dagger that Matt finds. There's um, the, the the Sword of Shannara, which is the first book. Like, yeah. It's cool to go find a magical item, despite the fact that you're traveling with a wizard who can just do <laughs> shit. It's like, oh, he could just cast Thaumaturgy and bonk his head on a chandelier. Either way, you have this cool sword that glows yeah. if there's orcs nearby. And that's cool. That's cool. And it adds like another element to the, to the story. Mm -hmm. It adds a whole new thing, more so than what your character can do. Which is an easy way to add things to the story, I just realized. But, <laughs> but we'll get into that later. MacGuffins. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but I guess we should talk about, like, how to give them out. Um, I think you mentioned this before on an earlier uh, podcast episode, so to speak, on Dungeon Driver. Dungeon Driver. <laughs> the more time I get away from that name, the more I regret it. Anywho, continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, giving low-level characters magic items. I think it's great. It's a, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, from a DM's standpoint, a lot of people are hesitant to do that because they think, oh, it's going to overpower my PCs. I'll never be able to make encounters if they can do all these cool things. And in reality, that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, as a DM, you have the power to adjust things on the fly. And if you're realizing, oh, that magical item that I gave them is kind of way too much. I mean, think about the game most of us played when we were very tiny. Like, oh, I have a T-Rex. Well, I have a huge shield. Mm -hmm. Well, my T-Rex can eat invisible shields. <laughs> you know, it, you're the DM. You just got to one-up one it. That's all you got to do. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so it, you shouldn't be afraid of giving low-level characters magical items at all. No, um, the, uh, the Dragon Heist game, um, we started off with Lost Minds of Fendelver, and I, I changed a few things in there so that when they finished Wave Echo Cave, they each got a magic item. Mm -hmm. I gave uh, the Rogue a Cloak of Displacement. Oh. I gave the Cleric a, oh god, uh, Animated Shield. Oh, very cool. Uh, the Sorcerer got a Broom of Flying, and my Bard got a, um, a, sword, a Dancing Sword. Yes. And and that was, they were level two, three? Yeah. Somewhere around there. Something oh, yeah. low. And what's great is only one of those items uh, let them skip something. Mm -hmm. And that was at the end of the game. It <laughs> Pretty didn't much happen where they were until the end. Pretty much powerful enough to maybe figure out a solution on their own. Well, but... I'll be completely honest. When they skipped, I went, oh, thank God. That part was so boring. <laughs> <laughs> So, in a way, you helped yourself. Thanks, Pastor. Yeah, yeah. Good job, Pastor Trevor. You're doing yeah. good. 
I mean, like a, a great example for someone doing that and it being very successful. Don't just take our word. Uh, Chris Perkins. Mm-hmm. I mean, him giving like Evelyn, right? The mm-hmm. winged boots of flying. Mm-hmm. That made Evelyn as a character. It's something very much her it defined her like if you saw the wing boots on this golden paladin it's like oh yeah i mean it in idol champions which i will still again sit put here and say go play it because it's so good and i love it (laughs) um her character model is floating with her winged boots it's that much of her identity and like yeah these i think they started the game at level five Mm -hmm. so going by dmg raw that is when you should appropriately give out the first magic items but it was the level isn't the point for me it's that the first game they played as these characters they got magic items yeah because i don't think it matters if you're level one or five magic items are going to be about the same for those levels Mm -hmm. exactly and something like the winged boots of flying which if you're not familiar with they seem just on paper very overpowered because you can straight up say, oh, I have the winged boots of flying. I have a flying speed now. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of DMs don't like having flying creatures Mm -hmm. in their low level games like Aarakocra and such like that because... I've been wanting to play an Aarakocra for so long. I've tried to get them to do it and they just won't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's so fun because, I mean... Flying characters can easily overshot things. They can mm-hmm. easily overpass things. Yeah. And they can change the battlefield, literally. You have well, to think in a different way. The, the My argument with this is that the way that a lot of DMs and GMs or whatever game you're playing, the argument that I always hear is like, oh, well, it's going to ruin combat. No, Mm-mm. it'll ruin some combat. Yeah. Like... If, uh, for, for instance, let's let's take uh, one of our Pathfinder ones recently. Like, I'm not saying that anything we had was broken, but we were flying above a battlefield <laughs> and we destroyed everything underneath us. That is very true. And it was awesome. It, <laughs> it was, was fun. Very cool. <laughs> but if we had that magic item that was letting us fly in a dungeon with a 10-foot high ceiling... We wouldn't use it. Wouldn't matter. No. There's doors that close in around us. Yeah. We can't do anything with it. So... I feel like when when people get scared about giving magic items because they say it will break combat, they're only thinking about one type of combat. Yeah. And just because it breaks that one, okay, you know that now. Don't spend as much time writing those encounters because mm-hmm. you know that they're going to be over quickly. Put them there still as an obstacle, but worry more about the ones where you know those aren't going to help them. Yeah, and that's just if you're inclined to purposely put in difficult ones. If yeah. you want to put in... Uh, combat where you know the magical items you've given them will specifically help. Yeah, you know, you make the characters feel really cool for a moment. Let them figure it out. Like, Mm. this is perfect. I can use all these items that I have and I'm like the perfect situation right now. And sometimes that's really cool to feel as a player. By the way, that anti-magic field was me being snarky. Don't ever do that. I'm looking at you, (laughs) Paizo, and whoever reign of winner. Looking right at you. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's the ultimate... I don't want you to have too much fun. <clears throat> yeah. Um, okay, what, what, what's what's another thing we got on here? Um, essentially, don't forget to pace out the magical items. They are really cool, and they are a great thing to have, especially at low levels. However, characters only have three attunement slots. And pretty much every magical item that is in combat use, that has a use 
that is like an artifact of sorts where it does a huge utility situation, uh, those all require attunement slots. Mm -hmm. Before you know it, your players will have all three taken up. Um, whether it be by a simple pearl of power and a pair of elf boots, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, now I have this staff of healing. And then you got one more thing. And so your players start becoming inclined to like, well, what do I not want? And as a DM, that's probably like the number one thing I would recommend keeping an eye out for and watching your pacing. Because believe me, in my home game, we've been playing for well over two years now. And that is my biggest quote problem. Um, it's not really a problem because <laughs> there's like seven players and they they give it to each other. Mm -hmm. But um, these items which were helping define characters now become passed along. Mm. So like, I know that a few items will never be passed because it's like, no, that's this is mine. Mm -hmm. This is my cool thing. But some other items which I specifically threw into the game for a certain character is suddenly being passed to a different character because they were full up. Mm. So hmm. that's like the one thing I would say watch out for as a DM is your pacing of how much you're handing out. Uh, not only am I literally sitting at the other end of the table from you, but I'm figuratively sitting at the other end of the table from you because I'm the complete opposite on that. Yeah. We finished Dragon Heist and I literally just had to count my head. I'm like, yep, only gave each of them two magic items <laughs> over 25 sessions. Yeah. And so like, and, the, and they both, and both, sets they got at the same time like they all got their starting magic items mm -hmm. at the same time and then when they joined force gray they got the gray hands badge which yeah. i um this isn't the dm's guild spotlight but uh on dnd beyond somebody actually made a gray hands magic item oh that's cool um and they used they got the information from a dm's guild thing that we'll talk about at some point um and so i gave all of them those um and yeah i it, I gave them that starting one, and they all used them, but they never really seemed hungry for more. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I'll judge it, is if it yeah. seems like they're getting bored with their magic items. And they never did, so I never thought about giving them more. Oh, yeah. No, from my perspective, as someone who has ended up giving out a lot, mm -hmm. I would definitely recommend your approach. Yeah. Because find ones that are tuned, not attuned, but tuned to your players, themed, so to yeah. speak. Um, well, like, that's uh, the, the flying broom to the sorcerer. That was because Tara wanted, she styled her character around a witch. And like, that's perfect. We bought a mini and didn't even realize that the mini was actually called Wicked Witch of the West because it was for a Wizard of Oz game. I know exactly what mini you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and she yeah. bought that. She's like, oh, this is exactly who, what my character <laughs> looks like. And so I gave her a broom of flying because it fit. Yeah. And that's definitely what I would recommend because going to hindsight, right? Mm -hmm. Like looking back. Yeah. Um, but harking back to what we said last episode, um, incorporating campaigns into your home game. That's where a lot of these magic items that I'm dealing with now, mm -hmm. I'm dealing with, uh, came from is Storm King's Thunder. Mm -hmm. And they're going at this adventure at level... 14, 13, they're going at it at a high level where they already are established and they already have all their stuff. And they're going through the Cloud Giant's castle and all of a sudden they're picking up some really cool thing and they're like, oh, no one has open attunement slots for this. And so they're kind of like struggling with what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you kind of have to, that's something I didn't do. I didn't really read the treasure tables ahead of time, which is 
something I would recommend <laughs> uh, if you're applying. That happened to me in Tomb of Annihilation. I went, and you get a wand of wonder? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, if you're bringing in campaign books into your home game, definitely look at the treasure tables mm-hmm. and try to adjust them as, as fit. Mm-hmm. Because if you know your characters are already stacked, probably don't give them like another thing that they just have to juggle. Yeah. The But going back a little bit to what you are saying about like giving them stuff that's themed around them, I know one of the big problems that a lot of people have with that is that it feels... Um, it's kind of breaking the fourth wall in a way oh. because it's like, why did I find this item in this random dungeon that fits my character so well yeah. and plays off of what I'm trying to do. And so that's why like I've like the, with dragon heist, I did it at the end of lost minds of Fendelver and I changed what was in that cave in order to, have this sentient thing purposefully give them something. Yeah. Um. So that it made the, none of them ever question why the rogue got the rogue thing, the bard got the bard <laughs> thing, the the cleric got the cleric thing. Like mm-hmm. where it was very centered around what they wanted to do. And I think if you know you're you're the DM, you're the person around the game, you can find reasons outside of you opened a chest and there's the thing you've always wanted. Yeah. Um, you can find ways to do that, and, and and the other thing is you know your players, you know what they're wanting as a magic item. You've heard them be like, oh, it'd be cool if I had this. Oh, it'd be cool if I could do that. Oh, yeah. And so you could, like, especially for the rogue, if you want to be, just irritate your entire party, take that item, put it behind a glass door or glass <laughs> protector thing in somebody's rich house, and watch that rogue turn all of them down as he goes for it. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. And... It's it's very important to, uh, like, if you're keeping with the theme of a character, sometimes that can go opposite. Like, all of a sudden, your cleric is like, no, I want this thing that deals necrotic damage. Mm-hmm. And as a DM, you kind of have to think, okay, well, how will that kind of adjust things? And sometimes I like that because it kind of provides an extra little plot spin hole that you can kind of work with. But... Uh, Sometimes it's just kind of like it ends up being thrown to the wind because it's like, uh, there's bigger things afoot. (laughs) Where it's like they want to get something that doesn't fit the narrative or something like that. It's just imagine them that you're like, I don't think you should have that one. Yeah. And then you give them something else and they're like, oh, that's not what I want. They just throw it away. And it's like, well, that sucks. All right. Yeah. (laughs) And I I feel like there's ways that you can compromise on that mm-hmm. where it's just like uh like somebody's like i want the hand of vecna it's like well <laughs> okay <laughs> you know that's uh probably not gonna happen but you could give them like uh i know there's another hand that isn't the hand of vecna yeah it's that one that grants wishes or something like it's the old you know urban legend and the fingers pull out you could give oh, them like the monkey hand thing yeah you could give them something that's like it and fits, like, the theme idea of it without it being the literal hand of Vecna. <laughs> or you could totally mess with them and make up a magic item called the Mage Hand of Vecna. And it's just <laughs> completely phantasmal and doesn't do much, but it's definitely there. Well, is, is that a good segue into the customizing uh, the yeah, magic items? might as well. Um, so something I wanted to definitely bring up was... Because uh, we were going to talk about this in a later episode mm-hmm. about fully making new magic items, but... 
into making magic items on the fly or giving yourself only mm-hmm. one session prep to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my suggestion, because I've done this a few times now, is keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, really kind of focus on one benefit and I wouldn't say a flaw, but more like a restrictor. Mm-hmm. Like, say, uh, oh, it's a regular... Uh, for example... Uh, my rogue helped a situation where he essentially there's a Draco Lich on the beach and another character is completely trying to stop the Draco Lich from leaving essentially. Mm-hmm. And, but it's dead. And so the rogue's like, can I take a tooth <laughs> without me realizing, Oh boy, uh, he's going to try to make a magic item out of this. And little did I know he did. He immediately went to the town's, magic guild and he's like what can i do with this and after a period of time and he got a magical item and it was the next session Mm -hmm. and it's a simple plus one dagger it's from a blue draco lich so i'm like you know what instead of regular piercing damage it does lightning damage and it's a draco lich so how about it deals an extra one or two d6 against undead so (laughs) it only deals extra damage against undead and it changes the damage type. But it's still a passive better weapon mm-hmm. as a just a plus one weapon. The, that's three very simple things you can just tack on there. Mm-hmm. So like, and plus lightning is such a specific damage type that where there is limiters in that as well. Mm-hmm. Like some creatures have lim- lightning resistance and then some creatures can only be damaged with magical elements as opposed mm-hmm. to piercing damage. So it's helpful and then it's not helpful sometimes, which is the perfect just here you go, magic item. And wouldn't you know it, he's been using it ever since that first session that he's had that. And he literally used it against that, the very same lich that summoned that Draco lich. That's pretty cool. In the last session. So I was like, this is all full circle. I love this. Mm -hmm. But basically, yeah, I I recommend just keeping it simple. I I, I feel like we we could definitely do a whole topic just on customization. And so I think this will be a... Tale of two warnings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because I totally agree with you that keeping it simple is the best way to go about things, especially when it's just on the fly like that. Mm-hmm. Or even when you're planning out something that you want to give a player. I, on the other hand, <laughs> decided when we started Curse of Strahd, I was going to give each of you a artifact that would level up with you. Yeah, that was intense. You handed me that piece of paper and I was like, oh, what does this do? I don't know <laughs> What possessed me to decide I was going to make magic items that level up with you? And I think really it came from that source of like, I know I'm bad at giving magic items. So if I can give you stuff that gets better with you, it might mediate that. But it didn't at all occur to me, you're going to have to make all of that. Yeah. I mean, not (laughs) And then I also decided I was going to type it up on homebrew. (laughs) Where there's no spell checking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all loved the yeah. items dearly. <laughs> well, and, and, and like, to be fair, they worked really well. Oh, and yeah. All of you got attached to them, and I really enjoyed that. Like, yeah. e- Eden's body bag was <laughs> a continual joke, but also a mechanic. Definitely. Like, yeah. she joked that she had a body bag with her that she would always try to put zombies in, so I made a magical body bag that spat them out that would eventually <laughs> like i think it was until like level five or something yeah. but it would spit out bodies that she could raise yeah and so those were again very 
specific to your guys' character. You know, um, uh, was Spencer an artificer? No, he was a wizard. He was a wizard, but uh, he had a he had a thing about artifacts. Yeah, he he's a wizard that wants to alter fate. Yeah, 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 and so he wanted to kind of almost collect artifacts in the sense of like I want to get as much powerful stuff as I can to help myself. So he had an orb that fit that sort of stuff. Yeah, and the thing was though is that I told them that they had these items from the get go. Like mm-hmm. it's not that someone gave them to them in game. They had them when the game started. Yeah. So like they were part of our equipment. That was character. Yeah, that was part of your guys' backstory, and I tried to make them fit that. Um, but <laughs> when I started Dragon Heist, I'm like, oh, I should do that again. And I sat down, <laughs> and went, no, 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 uh-huh. I can't do this again. I can't do this again right now. Maybe some other time I'll do that, but I, I'm not gonna say don't do that. But I'm gonna say know what you're getting into. See, like, I'll say that Curse of Strahd was probably the perfect game to do that with, especially with how we ran it in the end, because Mm. I think we, as a whole entire party, got 30 gold that entire game as as a physical reward. No, the daddy gave you, like, a lot of gold. It just had Strahd's face on it. And also it was put in the bag of holding, which was totally taken by a villain. A player villain? A player villain. Yeah, it was. That was funny. Mm-hmm. I loved him texting me like the w- week following, going, "Wait, do I have all the gold?" And I just put all caps, "LOL, yes, you do." <laughs> yeah. So we, as a group of party members, couldn't even go to store, yeah. go to town, and buy a silver sword because oh. we we just couldn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, speaking of buying a uh, silver sword, not necessarily a magical item, but it's a good segue into the DMs Guild. Spotlight of the week. Ooh, what's yeah. the sound of spotlight? It's just a clicking. Yeah. Oh, never mind. That's not interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's this week. It's going to be the discerning merchant price guide. It's by Dave Isinger. Um, it's essentially a pay what you want, but on the cover of the PDF, it says it's a free guide. So feel free to. Give him what you like, especially if you like it. I mean, I know I literally went back and gave him a couple bucks. But it's a really neat uh, PDF. It's essentially a... It's exactly what it is. It's a price guide. It's offering something that the DMG, the Xanthar's Guide, nothing really provides. Because everywhere else doesn't tell you how much you can buy a magical item for. And I know, Trevor, you're kind of against allowing... People, your players, to just go around town and buy things. I'm not against it. I just forget to, to have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's understandable. And for especially for, like, if you're doing campaign games, I wouldn't recommend having a shop where you can literally buy magical weapons. And Like, like the only reason that I'm... If there was any reason I was, quote-unquote, against it, it's because then there's the moment of... Now we have to sit here and, and figure, shop. I have to figure. I have to figure out what this person has. I have to figure out what they're selling it for. Yeah. And so, it, it's it's just one of those pacing moments for me, especially like in my Skype game where we're only doing you know two hours a game. Yeah. And so doing it like that isn't going to be the best for time. Yeah. And. Uh, something that I've done is I literally have on index cards shops 
Oh, see, that's so much smarter. Oh, my God. And so I have, I just go to a random shop, which the DMG shows you how to make shops. Mm-hmm. Like, you can choose a theme. You can choose, like, what they're good at, what they what the name is. They have all that. And I just choose. I kind of go through the catalog, mm-hmm. so to speak, in the DMG of magical items, going by rarity. Most of the time, it's uh, rare and under. Uh, more often than not, uncommon. Um, but then there's the whole problem of pricing them. Yeah, which is what the DMs Guild Spotlight helps because it helps. It lists literally every magical item. Uh, the newest update actually lists all the magical items from the campaign books too. Oh, that's so, so like good. magical items from Storm King's Thunder or Out of the Abyss or Dungeon. Uh, I, I'm gonna be honest. I'm I'm actually gonna go buy this right now. <laughs> And it's a really helpful way for you to kind of gauge as a DM the suggested cost. Like if you did want to make those index cards for shops, they literally have the suggested cost. And really there's nothing in here that's less than 300 gold. Because let's be honest, if you're enchanting something that takes time and effort and money, which is what Xanfire's Guide kind of details, Mm -hmm. but not so much in a way that makes it easy for you, the DM, to just spit out a number. Because uh, the only thing the Xanthar's Guide really points out is if you're trying to sell magical items. Not you, the DM, but you, the player. Mm-hmm. Uh, selling it to a shop, that's one thing, but what if a shop wants to sell you something? And this uh, merchant price guide definitely helps with that. I mean, I constantly use it, and if my players learned that, they'd probably look it up and be like, oh, hey, can I do this? And I'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, it's not a set-in-stone thing. You're the DM. You could always change the price depending on the region. And yeah. the shopkeep himself... But it's a good base, and that's what I like to use. I like to use it as a base number. Like, if it's a it's, it's a common thing, and the shopkeep has, like, three of them, you can lower the price. If it's a very rare thing, and the shopkeeper has to spend a month making it, then maybe up the price a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a story reason, well, you can go into that and, like, figure out why does the shopkeeper have it. Like, why does the shopkeeper have an invisible ring? Yeah. That is a legendary item. That is an entire plot itself and congratulations you just made yourself an entire storyline you can go through i mean the hobbit was a thing right yeah it apparently was yeah from what i understand but i would definitely recommend checking out the discerning merchant price guide by dave isinger uh definitely helpful for me and all my home game so yeah go ahead and, and check I'm it out cur- and i'm currently buying it yeah as we speak <laughs> uh all right uh well i think it's time for topic two and apparently I can't remember my login information right now because my phone's not auto-signing me in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, my topic is villains. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, this, that was my own thing. That wasn't even <laughs> a soundbite. It just made it sound like it. Um, so yeah, villains, they're a thing. Yes. Um, I don't think every campaign needs one. No, definitely. Um, but if you're doing a homebrew or you know you're adding something to it, knowing how to do a villain is a good thing to do. And I'm not going to say that I have the end-all, be-all way to do a villain. There's not a step-by-step process. There is not a step-by-step process. Despite what the DMG says. Yeah, and, and, and that's something that we that I will point out. The DMG does have a section mm-hmm. about villains. Yeah. It's, it, it is a nice overview. I would say it's a good jumping point. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that it doesn't go over that I think is good to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, namely, 
be like this this comes down to role playing it and putting them into your game truly try unless it's this is what you're going for really try not to turn them into mustache twirling bad guys yeah where the like every <laughs> session ends with them standing on a cliff going ha, 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 i really got them this time like it that's a comedic thing and if you yeah. want your players to fear this villain that's not the best way to do it i mean the best npcs are two-dimensional more than two-dimensional right yeah uh, the best villain should be as well. They yeah. shouldn't just be that evil incarnate being. Mm-hmm. They should be something more. I mean, I, I know, I, I think I talk about this freaking campaign every session. Curse Strahd is probably the best pre-written oh, yeah. villain in there because he is more than a one-dimensional villain. Yeah, there's reasons behind the madness. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there is. And, and from all of the villains that I've read of the campaign books, for me... He's the best, mm-hmm. and not what I'm always going to base my villains on. There's different reasonings for it, um, but I, I I think if you want to read a good example of it, you can pick up that book and look at it. Yeah, I mean, like, not to shame him or anything, but probably a more one-dimensional villain would be Aserak. Aserak is... Because <sighs> he's... What he, does he want? Well, <laughs> but that's, that's the, like, it to me, as the DM... A Sirak is actually a really complex character. Yeah. But because of the way that he is written and the way that I play him, yeah. none of that comes out in game. Yeah. Like, the only way my players would have ever known that is if they had read any, like, stuff that I had left around for them in the Tomb of Annihilation. There's no real natural place for exposition dumping. No. And, like, a Sirak to me isn't even really the kind of guy that would write it down because he's like, I can infinitely remember everything. Yeah. Why would I write anything down? Exactly. So, in my head, he's complex. But to the players, he's not. And that's actually a really good point to bring up is you need ways to let your players know that the villain is complex complex without info dumping on them yeah without doing you know the 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 stereotypical villain monologue yeah i mean cutscene. we mentioned that earlier yeah yeah and 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 i'll tell you this if you i will guarantee you this if you don't do a cutscene, if you try to ever monologue as a villain you're instantly interrupted with a shooting arrow at him that's literally what happened in a game I played once. Uh, shout out to Marcos, who tried to do a Dresden file game. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I love that one. He was trying to do some exposition story talking between two bad guys, very obviously evil creatures, like a goblin and this other creature. And they were talking about my player's backstory. And my player didn't know she was magical at all. The man next to me, my fellow uh, Dresden file player, uh, he's... There, he has a gun. <laughs> and our DM is talking. He's going through the speech. And in the middle of it, my friend stops. He says, I take out my gun and I shoot him in the head. So he rolled those fate dice, got all four pluses. Oh, no. And bang, there goes my exposition. <laughs> and Marcos just kind of put his, ha- his head-, head in his hands and just said, I'm never doing a cutscene again. Because then it'll just get interrupted by a shot to the head. And that's so true. Yeah. Well, I, I, this is a point I got to later, but the it, it comes down to the less your players see the villain, the better. Very much so. Because 
it's not you know you can say it's to build a mystery to build suspense no it's to stop your players from trying to kill them at every turn yeah i i and i think i talked about this on dungeon driver i i remember the first time i made the mistake it was my fourth session <laughs> of fourth edition <laughs> i had the bad guy for the the arc show up and mock them. Oh, no. And get off his horse. No. He took 12 steps and died. <laughs> oh, no. Just insta-die. Instant. Oh. Yeah, that would uh, throw a slight wrench in your villain plans. The, I, I had an intent, because it was a pre-written thing, and it came in two softcover books, and I ju- <laughs> it was the end of the first softcover book, and I just kind of looked at the other one, and I went, well... well you probably would have been fun to read. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, that was my lesson of that. Like, with Strahd, when I ran that one, oh my I God. knew that at every moment. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, the first time you guys saw Strahd, I wanted it to be terrifying. Yeah. And, again, did my stereotypical left it off on the cliffhanger thing to build that week of suspense. But, like, I feel like that first time you guys saw Strahd, like... I love the fact that you, all of you were like, we have to run. Yeah. So that, to Because me, we heard enough about him yeah. at that point to know he's out of our wheelhouse right now. And and that's something that I feel you I couldn't have done by showing you Strahd. Mm-hmm. It was only by having people talk about Strahd and having you... You found the, the his journal and stuff like that. I had stuff build up this character yeah. in your minds... So that when you finally saw him, you went, fuck, we're only level four. <laughs> yeah. Um, so doing, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to go into the weeds about how, where exactly for your villain to do this stuff. Because it's your villain, it should be how you figure mm-hmm. it out. But the less that you show them, the better. But you also have to think about, like you said, what the what the villain wants, which is the complexity. Yeah. Strahd has his reasoning for things, and he was interested in your characters. But the other thing you could do is the villain I made in my 4th edition homebrew, Drock, who you'll all hear about in an adventure series coming up. Um, (laughs) He had zero interest in the party. Yeah. He had bigger plans. (laughs) Yeah. Like, the... Oh, my God. I think they only ever saw him... Three times. Yeah. Over two years of a campaign. Mm-hmm. They saw him reborn. Uh, he walked in as they were talking to Valindra. <laughs> and then um, there was a siege of where they were trying to protect. Okay. And they only briefly saw him after they got knocked out. So my players hate Druk. And it's not because... Of the stuff he's done, it's because of the way he treated them. Yeah. As this, as if they absolutely did not matter. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, think about the things that make you hate people and try to instill that in villains yourself. Like, sure, you can make the, the mustache twirly guy that kills people for fun. But you know what? It's like, okay, well, we're going to take him down because we do that for every orc we see anyways. So why not take him down? What makes him a villain? He's just a bad guy. Mm-hmm. What makes him a villain is that personal hatred that your players will yes. develop. Yes. And sometimes a villain will come out of something that you did not intend. Because all of a sudden, there's this bad guy that was really just kind of like, eh, he's the end boss for a thing. 
but these players have grown such a distaste for this person and they're like we have to take him down oh yeah and before you know it as a dm you're like i didn't make this villain (laughs) no joke in dragon heist they made a villain yeah um there's a character who can help them uh she's she's with the zentarum one of my players tried to date her oh no (laughs) and then totally failed at that but then they realize that she might have information on something concerning the Zentarum. Again, I'm not going into spoilers, but they went to her. She basically told them what was going on and said, I need your help to get this thing. I'll only help you if you if I get it. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, she gets knocked out. They leave her oh. to get found by the city watch and she now has a vendetta against them oh see that's a player created villain yeah and and so like she wasn't the main villain but she sure did screw stuff up for them yeah and continued to until christy cast command on her and made her turn herself into the (laughs) guard which was really entertaining that is that's actually brilliant yeah (laughs) Uh, it was like they were trying to get away and the guards were coming up and she was like about to kill someone and Chrissy cast command said stand up turn around walk towards the guards <laughs> I love that it was it was great and, I, and, and it was like I could have brought her back again but instead mm-hmm. I'm like you know what that's a great place for her to end because that's the end of her villain story yeah and, and I really enjoy that but there's a lot worse things players do that can create villains, and they don't even yeah. have to be the main villain. They can just be mini villains. Yeah. But the thing I want to change to that has no good segue in any way is I really think that, and I know a lot of people do this. I did this a lot too. A villain does not have to tie into your player's backstory. Mm-hmm. And. I know it's tempting to do so that you so that you think that your player has an instant hatred for this person. I mean, yeah, sure, it might work sometimes. Or if yeah. you have that, I'm the lone wolf. My entire family was killed. I don't know who the person was that did it, but I'm on a search room. Oh, it's actually this dude um, that was uh, the main villain Look. that I've been writing for a long time. That, he's over there. Yeah, he's uh, he's right here. Um, uh, you hate him. Yeah. Do you hate him? You do. A uh, whole family dead. Did it right there. Right you there. didn't. You didn't see it in, in game, but he did it. Um, that's fine, but I feel like if you're going to pull your players into the current story, having their story means that they care about killing that person. They don't care about what they're doing to this town. Yeah. They care about just killing them. That's it. It becomes a revenge quest. Yeah. And so I think having giving players reasons in game at the table to hate fear whatever your villain mm-hmm. is going to do a better job for the game and also for that moment when they finally do fight them yeah it's going to be a lot more climactic like not going into it but like what happened at the end of strahd was amazing and <laughs> terrible and heart-wrenching. Oh, I cried so many times. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it, because of, and I feel like I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but, but it's because of what they had in the book of what you guys learned about this character that yeah. they developed was what built Strahd to that. Mm-hmm. And again, I cannot recommend going and looking at the stuff. That, and, I, and I get it. The book's not, my biggest complaint about the book is the format of it. But, 
or the layout, you're going to have to read through it. But there's so much stuff there to teach you about what to make a villain. And you don't have to use it, you know, beat for beat. You don't have to make every villain the, the goth sad person. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. I mean, like, you could very well have a optimistic person who believes they're going to save the world. Oh, yeah. And, oh, that that's a that's a really good one, is... Like, if, misplaced motive. It, yeah, <laughs> if you really want to have a good villain, make them believe they're the hero of their own story. Yeah. Um, if they are convinced that what they are doing is for the greater good, mm -hmm. but they're not, you know, it, um, the, what, what's the, the Spock line, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. Like if they are on the other side, which hilariously, and I hate that I'm bringing this up, was, was done in one of the Transformers movies that's Leonard Nimoy voiced in. If they believe the needs of the few outweigh the needs of the many, that's a villain. Very much so. If they're willing to destroy all of Neverwinter so that their small island can survive, yes, you, as a hero, you probably want both of those to survive, but if they're hell-bent on destroying Neverwinter just so that it's easier for them to survive... It kind of gives the players motivation to find other options, not just to go out and yes. destroy them. Yes. And... The quest doesn't just become murder the person that's doing this. The quest becomes, how do we fix this problem, too? Yeah. And... It, doing those sort of elements with a villain is going to make your players more invested in them. Yeah. Um, this has nothing to do with our GM, but my problem with Reign of Winter is I genuinely forget who the villain is. And there's no one, there's nowhere in the book that it talks about them or has mm -hmm. people talk about them. Yeah. And so... I'm like literally if that that the queen shows up at any point I'm going to waltz up to her and just try and beat her because I don't know why I should be afraid of her. So if you're not telling if you're not well not telling if you're not showing your players why they should be afraid of them they're not going to be. No, yeah. They're exactly. you, you're they're just going to shoot them when they're trying to monologue. Yeah. Maybe not with a handgun. I don't know. That's your D&D game. You do what you want. <laughs> Um, let's see. Do you, you have any other points on, on villains? What's your favorite kind to portray? Um, well, the, the, so, I, I did think about this, like, I feel like your villain should be ruthless in some way. Mm -hmm. Whether that be with power, intelligence, strength, or, or even deception. Yeah. Um, and mine... It's power. I like. I like. Uh, I, power is such a cool grab. We, we're playing in magic land with magic stuff on yes. magic people. Like, where I, it's literally possible to just become a god. When when <laughs> the the first time you guys fought Strahd and I had Ariana, I cast command and had her drop her sword, and all of you went, "Oh shit!" Oh no! And then like <laughs> told her to walk towards me. No. Like, <laughs> what do you? <laughs> What do you have there? I dropped my sword. No! Um, so, that's my favorite one to play with. Mm -hmm. But intelligence and deception are really close in there, too. Yeah. Um, I do love the idea of a, of a villain deceiving the party the whole time and leaving little hints and foreshadows there and then realize, ah, I was the villain the whole time. I do like that idea. I do. I enjoy that, too. But there's bad ways to do this, and in my opinion, the best movie example of this is Red 2, 
where spoilers if you haven't watched Red 2 you should it's a good movie <laughs> um, Andy Hopkins is the bad guy mm-hmm. and he's presented as uh, being having lost his mind being in an insane asylum and then in the third act they go into his room and he acts all insane and walks out the door and then locks them in there and then does this like like competent laugh and you're like oh shit he's oh, the one that's been doing it Yeah. but there's not good foreshadowing for that or it's just a twist yeah it, and it's kind of like, it's like oh didn't you wonder why we had anthony hopkins in there and everyone was kind of like no we kind of because it was anthony hopkins we kind of figured that out it's the csi episode with a big name star as a janitor yeah yeah <laughs> the, uh this week martin short is the therapist i think i know uh... who did it um <laughs> that's a real uh, svu episode yeah um but yeah so d- d- you can i like stuff like that but what about you what, what what's your favorite kind of villain I'm going to go for that as well. I love the, playing the power villain because the villain that wants to attain... Uh, my favorite villain, specifically, to portray is one that wants to ascend to godhood. And that means that they're willing to do a certain set of steps to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And that kind of almost allows the player's checkpoints to reach them at and to find them. And uh, the cool thing about that concept is the players have to find out what those steps are. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of gives me as a DM ways to kind of think about more of plot-wise, more so than Mm -hmm. villain-wise. It also gives me physical locations to put my villain at because... The the only thing that you have to be careful about, and I, I know you don't do this, is the, the problem that DC Comics has. The reason why all of Batman villains are more interesting than him is because they're the ones being proactive. Yeah. And so you need, you know, obviously your players are going to be proactive, but you have to, instead of doing it where it's just like, oh, the bad guy's attacking this town. We have to go stop him. It has to be, you You do what you, you were saying there, where you have to figure out where they're going to be. Yeah. So that the players are being proactive at the same time as the villain is being proactive. Yeah, I have about two main villains in my home game right now. One of them being obviously Valindra mm-hmm. and another one, funny enough, connected deeply into a character's backstory. It's his own dad. Oh, yeah. And... God, oh my, we, we should talk about that one another day because that's a super interesting yeah. one. Um, and both of them are actively doing things as these characters are moving along in their campaign. Mm-hmm. Just because they're doing Storm King's Thunder doesn't necessarily mean Valindra just stopped doing what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good way for me to introduce the concept of she's not pausing for you. She's still working. And and I was able to show that. Like, she learned a lot about what they were doing the past year because she's been looking into it. Um, and she showed that off. And being a lich, well, she has the extra bonus superpower of, well, you kill me? Well, cool. I'll show up later. Yep. BRB. Yep. And... So that was kind of a cool, uh, like, little uh, DM play of, yeah, I can just have her be there without worrying that it's going to ruin the plot mm-hmm. because of who, what she is, not who, but, like, what she is. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the, the dad villain, so to mm-hmm. speak, he's not immortal in that way. He's not undead. He's yeah. just an elf. And he's trying to fix that. And he's kind of a douche. <laughs> he's very much a douche. Um, but I... That's actually a good segue um, into how I made that said douche. Um, I was literally at a loss for what to do with him. All I had was my player's backstory. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, cool. So his dad ran this crime ring. 
uh, he like totally did this whole deal with my player's wife and he kind of was responsible for her murder. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's again what we were talking about, like a revenge plot. Yeah. There has to be a reason beyond, ah, kill him for my wife. There has to be more than that. Mm-hmm. And so I actually looked at the DMG. Hey. Um, I mentioned this last episode, but the DMG is a great resource for when you're at a loss of what to do, both plot and world-wise. Mm-hmm. There is so much in there that just helps you out with everything. Um, specifically, like, in creating non-player characters, straight up, chapter four, it's like villains. There's an entire section on it, and there's this huge table basically describing their scheme, methods, let's see. Oh, and their weaknesses, mm-hmm. because guess what? Villains have those too. Well, they, yeah, they need them. Yeah, because, I mean, we were talking about two-dimensional characters. Your own character sheet has personality, bond, flaw. Yeah. You should also apply those to your own villains, especially if they're huge arcing villains. Mm-hmm. Because if you forget to put those in there, your villain can feel flat. Yeah. And your players won't be interested. Mm-hmm. But if you make it so that way, oh, well, his method is literally burning at the stake. Well, there's a huge uh, plot line for you. And that will usually trigger some hatred in the players mm-hmm. automatically. Um, like, there's a whole thing in here about, like, oh, their religion. They're, they uh, pray to false gods or, like, they want to become a god. And so there's, like, a lot of other things. And then, like, there's vices. There's so many cool things in the DMG. I just recommend you totally check it out. <clears throat> the one thing that, that, you know, we're almost done with this section, but the one thing I do want to say that you made me think about is don't make your villain the... the, Remember that they don't do everything right all the time. Yeah. Remember that they do... They shouldn't, unless you have shown it, know everything about your players. Yeah. And so if, you know, one of your players is really good at casting one spell and your villain suddenly has the thing that perfectly counteracts it, Mm. that doesn't feel good, and it feels like you're playing against them. So that is the one big thing I will say, is when you're making your villain, you're playing your villain, don't make it seem like you you are the villain, and you are playing against your players. It's never... that You're never playing against your players. As a DM, that's not your role. Yeah, and remember that villains screw up. Mm -hmm. Look at any comic comic book movie and any anything oh yeah they screw up in some way or some form and that's usually what lets the the hero win is because they found the villain's flaw like hell let's talk return of the jedi Mm -hmm. luke found his father's flaw and used that yeah he didn't find the emperor's flaw well the emperor's flaw was vader so like that that was in the end ipso facto (laughs) yeah so like remember that they aren't they don't see the game how you see it, mm-hmm. so don't treat, don't let them plan like they do. You shouldn't really ever have a villain that's omnipotent, anyways. Yes, because then there's literally nothing your players can do against we, them. We talked about that in the gods thing. Yeah, it's like don't if you're let your god, gods be villains. If you're gonna have a god be a villain, what's the point? Because your players can't do that unless they're literally god status. Yes, but that's a whole other campaign entirely. Mm-hmm. At that point, who's really a god anymore if all of you are gods? <laughs> <laughs> when everyone is gods, no one is. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, I think that is a good stopping point. Um, you know, I'll plug it here. If you have any questions about villains or magic items, you can send those into difficultyclass at gmail.com. 
if there's anything we didn't talk about here, you know, let us know, and we'll uh, we'll put it at the end of the show. Definitely. Spe- speaking of the end of the show, uh, we are at listener questions. All right. And uh, Courtney wrote in, and Courtney, congratulations! You're the first person that has written in that I don't previously know. <laughs> I know, and I love all the little emojis in there too. It's yes, so cute. It, it's very good. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip. Skip over the first part because a little navel-gazing on our end. But uh, <laughs> uh, she says, uh, I've been DMing for uh, my FLGS for uh, for their Adventure League, and I'm wondering how to deal with problem players. Uh, they talk over PCs, DM, uh, tell other players what to do, don't pay attention during encounters, etc. Uh, for the most part, most of the players don't know each other. Uh, I am usually... Uh, I am unsure if I should leave it up to the player agency or actively say something uh, to this player directly. Is there a nice way of going about this? Thanks for your insight. Um, so, I feel like we're kind of a little bit apt yeah. to talk about this because of the bookstore games that we run. Yeah, uh, we run something similar to Adventures League. However, very much not Adventures League. Very much not Adventures League. Uh, We're very much more loose. Mm -hmm. And uh, a person came in saying, is this tier one? And I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) Um, But we do host DM games for strangers. Yes. We don't know who they are, except for the people that come in every other time. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we we have regulars now. And... Um, and unlike what you're saying, where like you don't think your players know each other, we do have a group of people that come in and they know each other and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it might be a little bit different, but we have run into this yeah. where, um, you know, specifically kids talk over each other or, you know, talk over me or talk yeah. over or try and try to tell other players what to do. Um, and it is a problem. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, um, it's not just, you know, the feeling of being a teacher and the class being out of order. <laughs> it, it's also, like, you're all there to have fun, you, you know, even at Adventure League, despite stories I've heard. <laughs> despite all the rules, the number one is have fun. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so you're all there to have fun. And when someone is disrupting that fun, that's a problem. Like yeah. you said, you, you had quotations over problem player, but no, that is non-quotation straight problem player. That's, in a weird way, breaking rule number one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, like, I... I Not I just for because, yourself, but for others. Like, I, I do understand some of the players that aren't just outright being jerks. Yeah. They... They are having their fun, or they are... They think that everybody's having fun with it, and I get that. But... When you when you read the table and you see that everyone else is having a problem with this player, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. And um, that's at the point where you kind of have to be active about that situation. Is when you, you do read the table and literally everyone except maybe one or two people are just completely just unattuned to this entire situation mm-hmm. at hand. Like if people suddenly are just like just leaning on the table, not sure what to do, just looking at their character sheets, just completely out of the element of fun. I, I've had, I've looked over at a few players uh, sometimes during this and it legitimately looks like they just want to get up and leave the table. Yeah. That sucks. It does. I mean, like, especially, you're investing your own time to mm-hmm. go to this thing where strangers play with you. And even if there are regulars there, it's still people you don't hang out with on the regular. Mm-hmm. And it it's still a... It's still a difficult situation, yes. and which is totally understandable why you would ask the question. Now, as far as what to do about this, I 
I've been actively trying to, you know, find out other people's experiences and stuff like that. And not all of them have worked. In fact, so far, none of them have worked. Yeah. Um, one person told me, and I did do this because it was really funny, um, where um, if they were, you know, talking uh, over each other or me or something like that, I'd, I'd have them take damage. And, like, mm-hmm. it, it, I, you, we talked about this before the show, and you're not a fan of that. Yeah, I don't like punishing my players for out-of-game situations because that just kind of makes me feel like a warden more so than a DM. And I get that, but it was kind of funny. If You're it's like, appropriate, it's you, appropriate. You, you both take 2d6 damage. Um, but that one didn't work because I did it. And, and and I told them beforehand, I was like, hey, so we've had a problem with this because it was people who had been there before. Mm-hmm. I had tried to talk to them. I, I, I've also tried to think where I pulled them aside and be like, hey, you're really disrupting what's going on and not yeah. everybody's having fun, but it's still persisting. Yeah. And so I tried doing the damage thing, instantly didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, a, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail because, you know, some of these are kids, so that's not fair. Preteens are preteens. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and that's the other thing. Like, if you're running eventually, you are also having the thing of you're having age groups that are vastly different from each other. Yeah. I've had people who are in their 60s, in their teens, and in their 30s at my table all at once. Yeah. And all of those groups interact socially different. Entirely different. I mean, even from table to table, like, you'd be DMing on one side of the store, and then you just casually walk over to my table, and it's an entirely different setup. Yeah. Uh, It is. Yeah. And... Um, the only piece of advice that I have right now, and, and like I've talked to several people about, I've talked to the other DMs on it, and it's unfortunately what we're gonna have to go with because nothing is working. Um, and I, I, my sister works at a place where she does have to do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It's not Dungeons and Dragons, but <laughs> she works with the public. She works with strangers on doing fun activities. Yeah. And when I asked her, like, hey, what can I do? She said, it sucks. But you will have you have to just turn to those people and say you're gonna need to leave the table. Yeah, and that sucks. And like you can even hear it in my voice. I don't want to do you that. You don't want to say and, that. And in Courtney, you even asked in there, is there a nice way to do it? You can do this in a nice way, but if they're doing it to the point that they're disrupting everyone's fun and your fun, what is the point of being there? Mm-hmm. And if they're the main problem they need to leave yeah and it, it the, the same goes for my home game if i had a player that was repeatedly doing something that was making the whole table not have fun you're 100 percent right i would tell them to leave yeah i would say this isn't working out maybe we can try it with a different group but this one's not working i'm sorry i've done it before no. i've talked to people i've taken my best friends aside and been like hey man yeah let's talk about what's going on because i mean different players have different styles they Mm -hmm. like to play certain campaigns and if you're playing the wrong campaign for them well then you're playing the wrong campaign yeah the with with, now i'm not saying ban them from the store or ban them from (laughs) the bookstore that we're at say i need the you can basically just say like you're disrupting the table and it's getting to the point that no one's having fun. I'm going to have to ask you to leave the table tonight. You are welcome to come back next time, but for tonight, I need you to leave. Yeah. And that sucks. I'm not looking forward to ever having to do that. It's probably going to happen at some point because it's 
the public. I mean, like, of course, talk to the whoever's managing the Adventures League beforehand. Yes. They, that, that Be was... like, do I have the authority to, like, present this as an option, or do I have to bring you over? Just be sure to check in with them, especially if you're going through official channels it, like Adventures League. Yeah, and, and Courtney, that's something that I will say. You're doing Adventures League. I'm about 99.9% .9 sure that's free, yeah. that people just walk in and sit down at a table. But if it's not or anything, or even if, you know, if it is free... The other thing that I would suggest, because this is what I did at the bookstore, is talk to the other DMs and the people in charge mm -hmm. and and see if you can figure out what can work at your store. Yeah. Um, because I, I told the, the manager the, the thing about saying, like, I think we're going to have to just ask people who are being too over the top, or, you know, not over the top, but being disruptive to leave. And he nodded and was like, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Because if it's going to better everything, if, if that's the single problem is just them entirely, removing the problem usually works. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, at, at our situation, our whole thing is about getting new people into the hobby mm -hmm. and introducing people to Dungeons and & Dragons. And if I have someone who's screaming over everything I say and just trying to blow up anything that they see. That's not a good introduction. It's really not. Yeah. And It's a bad first impression, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, and I know that not everyone thinks about that. I know not everybody thinks about somebody's first game. They may not even think about how their first game was. Yeah. Or maybe that was how it was, and they think that's fine. But if someone's disrupting your table, you should ask them to leave. Yeah. And on, like, the later note of what it was, like, don't, for players that don't pay attention during encounters, I remember a while back, like, during 4th edition, uh, we had, like, three players that would just be on their phone. Mm -hmm. One player was on his DS the entire time. It's that kind of game. Oh, my God, I remember that. Now, in 4th edition, encounters kind of take a bit. It's a number-crunchy kind of game. But um, a good way to combat that, especially in, like, Adventures League kind of feel... Um, you can't really tell them don't use your phones because there's things like D&D &D Beyond. There's mm -hmm, like spell mm -hmm. apps. That yeah. way you don't have to open up a book if you just want to use a cantrip. There's a ton of resources on a phone that you can't say no anymore. You, yeah. you can't be a phone-free table. Yeah. So what I recommend as like a DM, throw them into the encounter and keep them invested. Like if you notice they're starting to like sit back and phase out, Tell them, hey, can you make a check? Even if it's just a simple perception check, like, oh, you notice a goblin sneaking around the corner, or it's mm -hmm. like, oh, uh, give me an insight check. Just kind of get them back involved that's, into the action. That's really good. I like that. It's much better than the way that I do it. <laughs> how, how, do, how do you do it? If they ever go, well, I didn't realize that happened. I go, well, maybe if you were paying attention, you would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Calling them out on it, yeah. But the, to, to be fair, when I'm a player and I'm doing that because I know I do it sometimes, if I miss something, I straight out say, I'm like, well, I should have been paying attention. Yeah. Uh, and, and there are important parts where, like, like during a huge exposition situation, like, usually you shouldn't do that a lot because that does bore players. Yeah. Get them involved. Even if it's an exposition, have them be involved in the exposition. The Oh, yeah, 100%. Try and yeah. get everybody involved in anything. But, yeah, I understand that in combat, you can zone out. Yeah, which is why, going back to a previous episode, that's a brilliant time to bring in checks. Yeah. Uh, just throw in a check that doesn't really mean much to the game itself, but will let the player roll a dice. Because mm -hmm. some players don't like games that where you never roll dice. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I have one player in my group where he definitely prefers to roll dice over just pure role playing. This is the group where I can sit back for 10 minutes and not say a single word. That's how they are. Mm-hmm. They do that by themselves. I don't do that. And But one of them, the one that does like to roll dice, he'll be bored. Yeah. And he'll just like start to stir up trouble because he's like, I just want to roll a dice. Mm-hmm. Give him a check. Yeah. Allow him to roll dice. Uh, so if you're noticing they're getting disinterested during encounters, even during the middle of combat, like in the middle of another person's turn, just turn to them and be like, hey, give me a check real quick. And they'll be like, oh, oh, and they struggle to find their D20 and they roll mm-hmm. it and then they're back in it. Yeah. And, I like that. I yeah. really do. The uh, the last point on here that you have, Courtney, that I, I won't uh, say in such a downer tone as I was saying the other one, uh, telling other players what to do, that is a problem. Yes. Um, that... Uh, I mean, I got introduced to that problem in board games where it seemed like one person was only playing the game because they were telling everyone else how their turn went. And it turned into like a huge game of risk where one person is the strategy person Mm -hmm. literally moving players. (laughs) And board gaming thing, that's a lot harder of a topic. But when you're the DM in this situation, um, the thing that I have found best to do is I hold out my hand to the person that's trying to talk Mm -hmm. over them and I say, let them take their turn. Yeah. And I'll I'll say some variation of that, and that usually works. They might be like, oh, but I have this, like, they can figure that out. Yeah. If they want your help, they they will ask for it. Genuinely. Like, uh, being at this bookstore and playing and and DMing for these games, there are a ton of new players in my groups. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there are players in my groups that have played for five plus years. And they definitely know what a rogue can and can't do. And they Mm -hmm. definitely know what a half-orc barbarian can and can't do. But these new players should kind of have fun with their own character and figure out what they want to do. I I think it's fine to suggest things in that situation. But when someone is like, oh, you're going to want to do this and add this into it. And you want to get around him so that you can get advantage on it. That's a whole different thing. And And not only that, not everyone thinks about how to word things to a new player. So they might be, and I, again, Courtney, I don't know if this applies to you because I don't know if you have any players there, but if someone is new and they're overloading them with these, you know, keywords and everything like that, it's yeah. going to push them away from it. But even if they're not, if I'm at a table and someone is trying to tell me yeah. <laughs> how to do so, I have a problem with them. And yeah, yeah you might, Again, Courtney, read the table. Yes. If it looks like that player ha- is going to be like, "Hey, let me let me do my own thing," but if it looks like they're kind of like shrinking down on themselves, you see their body language is getting you know deflated because of this person that's overtaking their turn. A hundred percent, step in. Yeah. And tell the other person like. Let them take their turn. Just let them take it. Yeah. And that, that's the perfect time for you as a DM to take your DM mm-hmm. power and just say, let them do what they want. I mean, that's something that I do as a DM. I kind of preface the game saying, if you're not sure what your character can do, ask me. Mm-hmm. Don't ask the other players. I even let the other players know, like, if you're struggling, ask your DM. Mm-hmm. Don't, like, don't suggest to the other players, like, oh, you can do this and this and this and this specifically order they'll be like, I'm not sure what I can do. And before everyone else jumps in, because everyone will on instinct, because there are helpful people out there. And that's fine. Um, I kind of just slightly put up my hand and I look at them and I say, well, this is what you could do as an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to do something along these lines, uh, let me know. Because generally I tell new players, because 
the lingo and knowing specific words like having advantage or flanking Mm -hmm. or like all those kind of specific words for new players don't exist in their minds. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just give them the advice of tell me what you want to do and I'll be the person to tell to show you how you do it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm the person that's uh, pretty much like the choreographer of the huge dance number. You tell me you want to do a backflip and do three spins and do a pirouette. Sure. I'm the person as the DM to be able to tell you how your character can achieve that. Whereas you might have a player at this table of strangers that just goes, oh, you can't do that. And you got to be like, no, let's see how it goes. Yeah. And so when it, when it comes to players trying to control another player's turn, you know, read the table first, but I do think that you totally have a right as the DM, especially at Adventure League, to step in and tell them, you know, let them take their turn. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that one turned into, like, its own its own topic on its own. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a good question. <laughs> it, it is. It, it was very good. Thank you, Courtney, for, for sending that in. And uh, thanks for sending all the hype. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, I hope we answered that for you. Um, but uh, that that's going to be our show for this week. Yes. Um, so if uh, you enjoyed it, uh, please consider leaving a review on whatever podcast service you're listening to. And, you know, maybe uh, let, let some friends know about it. You know, it's telling me, hey, I got this cool... I can't say that. sounds no. weird. <laughs> yeah, to, just maybe tell your friends. Um, but uh, if you have any questions uh, for us or e- even suggestions for your own magic items, villains, or problem players at the table. Yes. In fact, you know what? If you want to send in your own stories about problem players and get another opinion on it, we or even other people writing in might have some help for you. So mm-hmm. if you want to write those in, please do. You can send all of that to difficultyclass at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, um, until next time, don't get killed by a problem player. <laughs> <laughs>